U.S. Arab Radio Network presents Season 3 of the Ray Hanania Radio Show, sponsored by Arab News, the leading English-language newspaper in the Middle East. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist Ray Hanania explores issues facing Arab Americans on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. And now, your host, Ray Hanania. Watch the show live on Arab News Facebook page. Welcome to the Ray Hanania Radio Show. I am Ray Hanania. It is Wednesday, August 9, 2023, and this is Season 3, Episode 15. We're brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region. And Arab News newspaper at ArabNews.com is an award-winning newspaper covering the Middle East with bureaus in Paris, London, Islamabad, Tokyo, and coverage in the United States, where I am the U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News. Our radio show focuses on the Arab American community and issues and also Middle East coverage from a U.S. perspective. We have two guests today. In segment one, we're going to talk with State Representative Sammy Sheets of Iowa's 78th District, who'll discuss how he got elected as Iowa's only Arab American legislator and how he focuses on Iowa issues over Middle East politics to win the hearts and minds of American voters. And in segment two, we're going to speak with the editor of Mirrors, a Michigan news and information service, Kyle Malin, who joins us to discuss the elections in Michigan, including in Hamtramck, which is the nation's only all-Muslim government with a Muslim mayor and six Muslim city council members. We'll also talk about the controversy involving state senator in Michigan, uh, Sylvia Santana, who it was revealed took a trip paid for by a pro-Israel group to visit Israel. And that district she represents is 40% Arab and Muslim, and they weren't too happy about it. So we're going to take this break. We're going to be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 248- Two nine nine three nine three seven. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. 
With more than 30,000 successful in vitro fertilizations, IVF Michigan is now ranked as one of America's best fertility clinics according to Newsweek magazine. IVF Michigan fertility centers are the recognized leaders in high quality fertility care. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and nine other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. A founding member, American Board Certified Dr. Nicholas Shama, is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. He has performed over 20,000 successful IVF cases and it's helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. When it's time to get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at one of America's best fertility clinics, call IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio toll-free at 855-952-9600. 855-952-9600. My guest now is State Representative Sammy Sheets, who was elected last year to the Iowa General Assembly representing the 78th District. Representative Sheets's mother is Syrian and Palestinian from Damascus, Syria, and his father is white ethnic European. Sheets was sworn into a two-year term on the Iowa General Assembly this past January. Uh, Representative Sheets, thank you so much for joining us on the Ray Hanania Radio Show. Thanks so much for having me. So you've done very well in the election. You won the office. It's not easy to win, um, but give us a little background about yourself. What is this your first office, political office, and why did you get into politics? Yeah, thanks so much for the question. Thanks again for having me. So my background uh, is something that I'm extremely proud of. My mom, as you mentioned, is an immigrant from Damascus, Syria, who came to Cedar Rapids over 35 years ago now to go to Coe College, which is a liberal arts school. In my hometown, she now teaches English to immigrants as a second language at Kirkwood Community College, which is here in Cedar Rapids as well. My dad uh, grew up in a very working class family here in Cedar Rapids, did really well in our public education system, and now he's a criminal defense and immigration attorney. Um, and having that multicultural background, I think, was something that was extremely formative in shaping how I view the world, how I view politics, and through the lens that I view advocacy and organizing. Um, I think having that different experience is extremely important and brings a new perspective to the work that I do at the Iowa House of Representatives. And being elected as the first Arab American member of the House of Representatives or the legislature in general here in Iowa is extremely um, heartwarming for me because we in Cedar Rapids have a over 130, 140 year history of a really prominent and proud Arab American community. Really? Uh, we have, yeah, we have the oldest mosque in North America is in Cedar Rapids. And in my legislative district, we have uh, an Arab Christian church that has been around for generations. And so it's a, it's a part of the community here in Cedar Rapids that's been vocal, prominent, and some, a group that I'm very, very proud to be a product of. Why did I get into politics? I got into politics because I saw uh, a state that I was not recognizing from the place that I grew up. Iowa, for a very long time, was an extremely um, progressive state. We desegregated our schools in Iowa 86 years before the Brown versus Board of Education decision. We were the second state in the country to um, legalize same-sex marriage, and we have a host of other uh, 
achievements and accomplishments, eliminating the death penalty over 50 years ago, et cetera, that made us a proud progressive state. And unfortunately, under Republican leadership over the past decade, we have seen our public education system decline as we've underfunded it. We've seen our healthcare system decline as we privatize our Medicaid system. Um, life is getting much harder for working class people in the state of Iowa. And so when I saw my state trending in that direction, I knew that I had to be part of the solution. And so even though, uh, like I said, I was born and raised here in Cedar Rapids, I left to go to university at Georgetown in Washington, D.C. for four years. And literally within a couple of days of graduating, I came back to Iowa because I wanted to be part of the solution to improve my state and rebuild it into a place that I know it can be for everyone. And, and how did you get involved in politics? I mean, obviously, you go to Georgetown, you're probably going to be interested in a political career. So that's a telling uh, decision on yeah. your part. But what what did you do? I mean, did you, have you held office before or run for office before? Or was this your first office? Yeah, no, th this was my first time running for office. And so wow. I got I started getting organized uh, when President Obama ran for office. And actually, the second stop of his campaign was at Kennedy High School, which is right behind the house where I grew up in Cedar Rapids. And he, like so many other people in, in my generation, really energized and um, got us active in politics and understanding what politics means for everyday people and how it could positively and obviously negatively shape people's lives. So uh, I worked for his campaign um, when he ran for re-election in 2012. And then I worked for gubernatorial and U.S. Senate races here in the state of Iowa. I worked for President Biden in the general election in Iowa in 2020 on his campaign. And after having worked for other people for so many years, um, I decided that I wanted to have my own voice and I wanted to be a part of the solution for the party and really trying to run for office and getting elected yourself is the only real way to have that kind of autonomy in your voice, right? And and voice in the, how the party needs to change to start winning again in my home state. So that's the reason why I personally decided to run. So it's fair to say that you were motivated mainly by local issues then to get involved in politics, not by, not directly by the, you know, a lot of Arab Americans or people who are mixed Arab and American. Um, they seem to get into politics because of the Middle East. Was mm -hmm. that a major factor, a minor factor? I'm not saying it's not important, but when you ran for office, what, what was the main focus that you were interested in? The local, uh, changing the state and local politics? Absolutely, 100%. And it's not to say that obviously growing up in an Arab household and having Arab relatives, there's no way you can get around not right. knowing what's going on in the Middle East and hearing, you know, a thousand different opinions on what's happening in which country, right? So it's something that's always in the back of my mind and studying international relations at Georgetown. And I worked for the State Department in Dubai um, when I was in college. And so I, I do have and understand that perspective intimately. And obviously, when I talk to Arab Americans, that's something that comes up a lot. Um, but I will say, running a campaign, you know, my district, I represent, I think, 50 to 60,000 people. So um, when I go and talk to, and when I knock doors and listen to people, even Arab Americans included, um, the majority of what I heard about were things that we all, you know, know and talk about in a state level, national level campaign. It was our public education system. It was our healthcare system. It was at the time record inflation that people are facing and how that was impacting their family's ability 
abilities to, to buy basic things like groceries and gasoline or baby formula for some younger parents. Those are the conversations that I was hearing over and over and over again. And that's mostly what I focused on when I was running is kind of that idea. It was focused mostly on Iowa because I'm in the Iowa legislature. And it was talking about, like I mentioned earlier, how Iowa used to be the place where to whom you were born to didn't really determine the trajectory of your life. But as Republicans erode our social safety net, our schools, that's becoming less and less the case. And so that's the kind of message that I was uh, discussing and listening to when I talk to voters on Middle East politics. And I would not even argue just the Middle East. I think foreign policy in general is not something that's at the top of mind for the vast majority of American voters. So, in, and, and to me, when I think of Iowa, it's hard to think of an Arab American population there. It seems to me like it's not a place where the Middle East is a major factor. But you pointed out that was it you said one of the first mosques in the country was the first built? mosque, the first mosque in North America, not just the U.S. Wow. Born in Cedar Rapids. There was a huge in the 1880s. Sorry to go into a short history lesson. In the 1880s and 90s, there was a huge uh, wave of migration from Syria and obviously Lebanon. It's now Lebanon, but Syria back then um, that came to Iowa. And there are still families here in Cedar Rapids that can trace their roots back to the 1880s, wow. 1890s. So it's a very very prominent, old, and uh, important community. One, like I said, that I'm very, very proud to be a part of. Did you face discrimination growing up because of your Arab-American heritage, or was it more accepted, do you think? I, For the vast majority of people, I have been completely accepted. And, you wow. know, we, we made a joke about, or you made a joke before we started about me passing as a white man anytime right. I walk walk on the streets here in Cedar Rapids or in other parts of Iowa. So I personally really have not faced any discrimination. And I think for the most part, Iowans are extremely welcoming people. Like my mom's story is a case in point of being a Syrian um, immigrant or Syrian Palestinian immigrant who came here, who didn't really speak English, learned it, and not only learned it well enough, she is now a really important member of our community who's now teaching other immigrants how to, you know, become great participating people in, in our society here in the United States. And I think that's critically important, but I cannot say for all Arab Americans that we don't face discrimination. We absolutely right. do. Uh, I know you're well aware about issues with the census and even just the most basic concept of, we don't know how many Arab Americans there are in the United right. States. We haven't been, we haven't been asked specifically how many Arabs or Arab Americans are in the United States because they've lumped us in with Caucasians, which obviously is not the same thing, right? For uh, since they started doing the census. And do you have a feeling about that? I mean, since we're on the topic of the census, I know everybody is pushing this uh, category called MENA, Middle mm -hmm. East and North Africa. Um, and I've gotten a little pushback from some Arabs because in the legislation I've seen, they don't use the word Arab at all. You don't see that word in there. Everybody is saying that are all the people promoting MENA are saying that, oh, this is a big deal for Arab. But I don't see Arab in the word Middle East and North Africa. I see us as part of a bigger group. Do you have any feelings about that? And does Iowa have something similar in terms of legislation that would identify uh, Arabs and Middle Eastern people? 
Um, so I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know enough about the specific legislation that's been proposed. I do know and agree that, and I think everybody would agree that Turks and Persians aren't the same thing as Arab Arabs, right. right? So maybe they shouldn't be classified as such. I don't know the details about the specific census question. I just know that that's a, a concern that's been raised um, over and over. So have you thought about introducing some legislation that would deal with uh, uh, the issue of identity for Arabs or people from the Middle East? Yeah, I haven't personally. I think it's because it's more of a federal issue that the United States Congress needs to address because the census is obviously federal. And I think that's something that hopefully now that we do have more Arab American representation in Congress, I think that hopefully that's something that um, can get passed. But I I don't know enough about the details specifically about that issue. And have you introduced, have you addressed any issue? And I obviously want to ask you what your top priorities are, you know, Mm -hmm. being in uh, the Iowa General Assembly, but uh, and maybe let's talk. Let's start with that. Some of your what are your yeah. top three issues, you know, there in terms of you know being in the legislature there. And then later, I want to ask you about: Are there any Middle East issues that you've addressed or that you want to push in the legislature? So let's yeah, start with so, your mainstream ones. Yeah. So the the big issues that I talk about um, a lot, and what I really tried to champion, even in my first legislative session. Um, is food insecurity. And so I introduced a bill that had over 20 Republicans in the Iowa House of Representatives co-sponsor it, which is pretty much unheard of to have a Democrat get that kind of bipartisan support on a piece of legislation that would have uh, made school lunches free for 22,500 kids here in the state of Iowa. Because when we had the pandemic, the federal government paid for everybody's school lunches regardless of income and now that that uh, uh that policy has ended after the pandemic i think it's important that we don't have thousands tens of thousands of children going hungry in the state the second thing is public education um like i said earlier my dad grew up in a very working class family and the only reason he was able to make it out of the working class into the middle class was because he had excellent public schools here in iowa And so fully funding what used to be in Iowa, the greatest public schools in the country, it's literally on our state coins is education. Um, The Republicans have been underfunding our education system for over a decade now, and um, that's paying consequences. And also we had legislation this session that is not just in Iowa, we've seen in other states of uh, privatizing our education system with school vouchers, um, paying people to go to private school instead of attending public schools. The last thing that I'll mention is workers' rights. And we used to, in Iowa, have uh, basically the gold standard of collective bargaining agreements uh, for our public sector workers, our teachers, our firefighters, our police officers, uh, the people who work in state government and county government and municipal government. The Republicans in 2017 followed the lead of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, and really demolished that system that had worked for over 40, 50 years here in the state. And so now workers have less rights than they did half a decade ago in the state of Iowa. And that's fundamentally wrong. Um, When we talk about wage inequality and how to build an economy that works for working and middle-class Americans, workers' rights and the labor movement in general has to be uh, at the top of of that list. Do any of the issues of the Middle East come up? Are they major issues in 
you know, that are debated in the uh, general assembly there locally? Uh, almost, almost never, because most foreign policies in the purview of Congress and the president. So, yeah, I was going to say, and that's probably the way it should be. I mean, you know, you get the federal level deals with the Middle East, uh, the state level, like at your level, you deal with legislative issues that directly impact people. Um, I'm sure that when uh, issues of discrimination may hit a community, you would stand up and defend those people, regardless of whether they're Arab. It sounds like you, your parents both have a background in immigration, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming that's something that you've kind of absorbed, you know, growing Absolutely. up in, uh, as uh, the son of a Middle Eastern mother and a, uh, a white ethnic father. It's an, a big factor in my personal life. Right. Like, it's really hard to separate a culture and a language. I speak Arabic. Obviously, I'm extremely close with my Arab relatives whom I love dearly. It's it's really hard to extract that from you know uh, my life. It's an incredible part of my identity that I'm extremely proud of. And I'm very proud of, like I mentioned earlier, being the first Arab American in our legislature from the community in, in Iowa, Cedar Rapids, that has had such a, an old and proud Arab American community. So it's something that I think about all the time. It's something that I'm very proud of. But when it comes to the daily work of a state legislature, big foreign policy issues or issues like something like the census, et cetera, is not something that's in our purview. And as you mentioned, that makes sense because you wouldn't want the state of Alabama, the state of Iowa, and then Illinois, all all three states having different foreign policy ideas on some of these questions that you're hinting at that are extremely important in terms of uh, U.S. national security and foreign policy. Do you think the Arab community uh, should look at this as a model for how to, um, you know, uh, engage politics in the United States? I mean, sometimes when I talk with Arab Americans, there's no difference between the foreign policy and state policy. They mm-hmm. want foreign policy to be state policy. And do you think that's a mistake sometimes when they do that? You know, when they make it, they shift yeah. it out of the federal level to the state level. It just shouldn't be the role of a state legislature to get involved in directly, like really important U.S. national security or foreign policy decisions. That's what you that's what we elect our Congress people for, our senators. And that's what we elect the president is to lead and enact those foreign policy objectives. And there is a host of um, reasons why different communities, including the urban community, should be organizing and activating around these issues. And that's where I'd encourage them if that's the issue that they're most important about. I just would say that the state legislative level is not the level to be arguing at. It's probably at the, the federal level. But the issues that I'm talking about, and I say this all the time as well, the issues that I mentioned, education, schools, inflation, so many families, even though we do know for their American communities in the Middle East, for you know different communities around the world, they have their own issues because um, you can't separate your identity from back home if you're an immigrant from the new life that you're building here. And I understand that. But fundamentally, when I have 60,000 constituents and I think about what are the core issues that a white American, an immigrant from Myanmar, an immigrant from Syria, what are they all facing? African-Americans, obviously, they're facing systemic crises when it comes to public education, our healthcare system at a state level. Um 
like I mentioned, workers' rights, all those issues, people just fundamentally want to be able to provide for their family, make a good living, and have some sort of security in their life and have a good education system for their children. I fundamentally think that those needs are what communities from different backgrounds all want to see out of people like me in their state legislature or their elected officials more generally. So I know all my life, um, when I hear the word Iowa, I've always mm-hmm. thought of that's where politics would begin in a presidential election. Mm-hmm. And I know that they've changed the caucus, the not the caucus system, but the primary system. Iowa was always, was always the first state where all the candidates would run and whoever mm-hmm. came out of Iowa would get a huge boost moving into these other states. Is that something that's good or bad for Iowa, in your opinion? It's terrible for Iowa. I think it's terrible for the National Democratic Party that they've booted Iowa from that spot. I mean, Iowa was a spot where you could not buy your path to victory. You had to go into dining halls and coffee shops into UAW or you excuse me, VFW halls and talk to people one on one and explain to them why your vision for the country was the best set of all the people that were running. And you, Iowa voters cannot be bought. They required a lot of uh, attention. And I think that is what allowed for people like President Barack Obama, who was running against, remind you, to remind listeners who already know, was running against a Clinton right. and was an upstart unknown senator. Iowans are the ones that gave him the chance to present his case to the entire country. And when you think about somebody even like Bernie Sanders, who, when he entered the presidential race, I think was pulling at zero or one percent against Hillary Clinton, Iowans gave him a fair shake and he ended up virtually tying in the Iowa caucuses with Hillary Clinton because they listened to him and they heard him out. And I think that's a really important thing for us as Democrats nationally is to have a state, whether it's Iowa, it's not a finalized issue. But whether it's Iowa or another state is to have not have it be a state where all you have to do is fundraise from, you know, billionaires and mega rich people instead of actually having to go and explain to voters face to face why your vision is the best one for our country. Do you think uh, just assessing President Biden, there have been all these criticisms. Is he vulnerable to a Democrat challenging him? Do you feel or is he vulnerable to a Republican, or do you feel that he's not vulnerable? Do you think he's going to win um, in the election next year? I think the president um, is going to be the Democratic nominee for sure in 2024. And his president, his presidency has faced all sorts of challenges, but I'm confident when the American people know what he's done in terms of lowering inflation, creating tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs, investing hundreds of billions of dollars into our manufacturing sector and literally trillions of dollars to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure. And when they see that his likely opponent is going to be, again, somebody who tried to overturn American democracy, I do hope that the American people will uh, once again choose to support him in the election. And and the final question, do you, do you think the Middle East will be a factor in deciding that election, or is it really kind of an aside going into this election next year for president? I'm sure it'll be a factor for some communities. I, I doubt for the vast majority of Americans that foreign policy in general, let alone the Middle East, will be a dictating factor in how they vote. All right. I want to thank my guest, State Representative Sammy Sheets. 
and we wish you a lot of good luck. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue with our radio show. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab offers a great array of your favorite Mediterranean meals. Meals range from lamb specialties, shawarma sandwiches, seafood dinners, and they offer special big trays of your favorite food, plus much more. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab address is 32839 Northwestern Highway in Farmington Hills. Their phone number is 248-538-9552. That number again is 248-538-9552. And the supermarket is open from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab will definitely leave you satisfied. And we're back, uh, and we're speaking with the editor of Mears, a Michigan news and information service, Kyle Malin. Uh, that website is mirs.news. He joins us to discuss the elections in Michigan that took place Tuesday. Um, a couple other issues involving a controversy involving uh, state Senator Sylvia Santana and a trip that she took to uh, Israel and also the, the election in Hamtramck, which is the only city in the country that is has an all Muslim uh, mayor and city council, which is interesting. Kyle, welcome to, back to the program. I think we, we've had you on in the past and we appreciate you taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back on, Ray. Oh, absolutely. So give it first of all, before we get into Sylvia's uh, Santana and uh, uh, Hamtramck, give us an overview of elections in Michigan. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's like every other state. And, you know, were there any big issues, you know, statewide that people were looking at? 
Yeah, this is a uh, a mid. This is a, an off year election. This was municipal elections uh, that uh, several communities had uh, yesterday. Uh, not all, but several. Uh, there were a few that we were paying attention to, and especially here in um, um, Michigan. One was Westland, um, uh, the city of Westland. We had a um, uh, mayor's race involving a state representative. Uh, so. Um, uh, we were paying attention to that. Kevin Coleman was running against uh, somebody who had been appointed to the position after William Wilde left uh, for a different position. And uh, Kevin Coleman finished in second place. He got 41 percent. Um, and the incumbent, Michael Landu, uh, finished in first place with 44 percent. So they will both advance to the November general election. So and they're, uh, we were also, and they're, they're running for mayor, correct, of uh, yeah, uh, the yeah. city of Westland? Yep. Right. Sorry and, about that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so then the other one we were following was in the city of Warren. And Warren is a um, uh, the third large city in Michigan. And their mayor is not eligible to run again because of uh, a term limits issue there. So Michael Fouts uh, or um, Fouts isn't able to run over there. So instead, we've got two candidates uh, who advance. Uh, one of them, uh, the one that we're most interested in here at MERS, was Lori Stone, who is a state representative. And she finished in second place uh, to George uh, Demas, D-I-M-A-S. Uh, and they're going to advance to the general election over there. That was a very contentious race over there. Um, because Fouts is uh, very much involved still in politics and Warren. He endorsed uh, George uh, Demas and was pushing for his victory. But interestingly, at the same time, he's asking a federal court to put him on the primary ballot, which is just really kind of a, a strange <laughs> kind of dynamic. Here he's endorsing somebody to run for mayor, yet he's not given up the ghost yet on the job himself. And so he's trying to ask a federal court to put him on the general election ballot anyway. Is this uh, because of term limits? He's trying to get around term limits. Is that what it is? Yeah, there's a uh, there's a term limit proposal in uh, Warren that uh, was put on the ballot and, and approved as part of their charter a little bit ago. And uh, Fouts is trying to claim that it doesn't really apply to him yet because they didn't grandfather in the term limits. Got so it. he's claiming that um, when the term limits applied, then it started applying to him at that moment. Right. And so the, 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 um, the terms that he had done prior to that didn't count. And um, so anyway, he got, a, he got a local court to agree with him initially, but the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals said, no, he can't. So now he's trying a different way trying to trying to make a federal case out of it super long shot but it's it's just still interesting that here he's backing somebody who took first place and yet uh he hasn't really given up on it himself yeah and i and i think that's always the problem with these sponsors of term limits they love to talk about term limits when they're talking about somebody who's in office uh but when they're in office that term limits seem to kind of be an encumbrance on them that they don't want to me, the biggest term limit is the vote. You ask electors to go to the polls every four years and they vote and they can term limit you. 
<laughs> at that election if they want to do it. It's really interesting. And and Michigan is Michigan still. I know the Detroit region obviously is very Democratic, but is Michigan a Democratic state or a Republican state? What's the balance given the last two presidential elections? Do you know? Well, I wouldn't call it. I, I still think it's a swing state. I mean, it can go to a Republican or a Democrat. Okay. Uh, I don't think we're a strong way one way or the other in in presidential candidates in recent history or in presidential races. Michigan has gone Democratic, but, you know, it can go it can go to a Republican in presidential elections uh, in the right circumstances. U.S. Senate races have been hem- heavily Democratic. But if you take a look at the state legislature, uh, we've been predominantly Republican. Wow. Uh, the, the Senate was Republican for 40 years until just this past election. The House has been more Republican than not in the last 40 years. And then the governor's office has switched back and forth, uh, has been probably more Republican since the 1960s than anything else. So it, it really just kind of depends on the election. It does seem like in federal elections, though, national elections, Democrats have an edge in state elections. Republicans have an edge. It's just uh, it just depends. Hamtramck is a uh, city for years uh, run by a Polish, you know, the mayor was Polish American, had a big Polish population that dwindled over the years. And now the Muslim population, I think, is like uh, over 60 percent, mostly Yemeni immigrants from Yemen and immigrants from Bangladesh. This past election, they elected Amr uh, Ghalib as the mayor. Uh, what did they just wake up like overnight? Because the population was growing. Was there something that sparked that, you know, hey, we're Muslim, we want a Muslim mayor? Was there anything that really kind of pushed that or did it just coalesce uh, and just come together naturally. And that's what happened in the last election here, too, where we had um, nine candidates run for the city council and for three seats, and they pared it down to six. And and all, um, with the exception of Lynn Blasey, had um, Arab-American right. names. And, and Muslim. Um, Muslim names. Yeah. Or, or Muslim. Uh, yes. Yeah, there's not such a thing as a Muslim name. But anyway, they... Um, Six of them did advance. Uh, Lynn Blasey did survive. Uh, but, you know, this whole issue with the LGBTQ flag and the flying of the flag has kind of taken center stage over there right now right. Uh, with people making that kind of an issue. Well, and, I, you know, folks on the outside are kind of perplexed by that. Like, right. how could that happen? But uh, I, I think folks sometimes forget how conservative um, many Muslims are socially. Right. Um, that being LGBTQ is a, a various, you know, not not something they're they're really exposed to a heck of a lot and haven't really, you know, kind of dealt with before. So, you know, in a way, it's it doesn't it, it's not it shouldn't be all that unusual. It shouldn't surprise you. But still, in 2023, it still does. Yeah. I, you know, being Arab myself, I, you know, and Christian. Uh, but very conservative. I mean, when it comes to certain family value issues. Um, the gay rights movement wasn't very popular in my community. Um, but, you know, like most people, I respect gays. I mean, I, I don't think anybody should be discriminated against. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't know if I support that lifestyle. It goes against what I believe in my religion, you know, being a Christian. But that's a debatable thing. It's one of those issues, though, that's hard to debate and discuss, because if you don't go 100 percent with the uh, 
LGBT community, which is a very powerful political group for the small numbers that they have compared to other groups, um, they get pretty upset sometimes. And when I spoke to Mayor Golub, uh, I think it was about six weeks ago, he said, listen, I, I'm not going to treat anybody differently. We'll treat everybody the same. But, um, you know, my religion, we don't embrace the gay, you know, lifestyle. And I don't think we should uh, fly anyone's flags other than the, I think he said, the state of Michigan, the county of Wayne, the city of Hamtramck, and the uh, uh, MIA veteran flag, you know, the prisoner POW MIA flag. He said, I'm just restricting it to that. That didn't go over, did it, with the LGBT community? No, no, it didn't. And so I know that they fired back and um, some folks made it an issue and you know what? Speaking about turnout, though, it didn't really draw a ton of people right. in Hamtramck. You know, the the turnout there was still only seventeen percent, which was just about what it was in in other communities. You know, so it, it didn't it didn't fire people up to that to to an extent where they would get behind right. somebody and just go out and vote. It was almost like, you know, it's it's more of a commotion outside the city. Right. Than it is inside the city. Right. It's a national story, in other words. But yeah, in Hamtramck, the, I, I didn't see any gay rights, uh, you know, advocacy among any of the candidates. Um, it seemed like, you know, that this fo- this was basically about being Muslim, Arab and, uh, um, you know, Lynn uh, Bazzi's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, performance I thought was more of a reflection of everybody knows her because she worked at the Arab Museum for years. She's really popular in the Arab American community, even though she's not Muslim and not Arab. You know, she's white ethnic. So it was kind of interesting, uh, given you're right, the national focus, but locally it just didn't seem to be a factor. Yeah. And she, so she finished third, six advanced, and then uh, in November, uh, the top three, then we'll get the uh, city council seats. And, uh, it, you know, it's a close election. Uh, only, you know, 2,500 people voted. Right. And she got 813. And the person who finished fourth place, um, uh, Mohammed uh, Hassan, got 809. So and he was only on four votes. And he's an yeah. incumbent, correct? And so he yeah. actually came uh, in fourth behind Lynn, who is, does not hold office. And as you pointed out, I mean, it's a, now it's not unusual for midterm elections, right? To be low turnout, you twenty five hundred or so votes out of four, a little over fourteen thousand. I think you noted correctly that's a little over seventeen percent. That's not a great turnout. Do you think you'll no. see more in November? Um, you know, when we see the final six candidates that uh, will be on the ballot, and do you think Lynn Blasey has a chance? I mean, it's. Uh, you know, not not saying I'm favoring anybody, but, you know, being non-Muslim, I'm wondering if uh, with fewer candidates, that Muslim vote kind of comes together and it'll be stronger for Mohammed Hassan, who was in fourth place. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But as far as turnout, I don't think it will be that much higher, to be honest. I mean, when in, in other communities, uh, you see a little bit more of an uptick. I mean, maybe it'll go up to 20, 21 percent. But if right. these candidates then inspire people, people to the polls yesterday, it's hard to see that they will do so unless something substantial changes uh, in November. Um, I, I just 
I think it's going to be a super tight election and uh, the individual candidates there will, will need to, to work hard in order to, to uh, separate themselves. But I don't necessarily see um, a, a big groundswell of, so um, of might, change there. We might see the same uh, pattern. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, that, you know, obviously it's the first all Muslim elected city. So that is a big deal. But it, what's the big deal of, you know, Chicago? I lived in Chicago. It was all Irish for years. We had an Irish mayor and we had Irish aldermen. Um, and in the suburbs, you know, there's Italian cities where they're all Italian. Um, but the issue of Arabs and Muslims, I think, always is a little different because of the culture is so much different. White ethnics tend to uh, understand other white ethnics, but they seem to have a little clash with uh, Muslim and Arabs. Um, do you think that that is going to be an issue or have you seen like uh, any real issues about Hamtramck because it's all Muslim, you know, government? No, nothing that's risen to a state level. I just think it's, it's just kind of something that uh, has naturally happened. And, um, you know, folks who are fine with it are staying there and folks who are not, I guess they're finding somewhere else to go. But I, I haven't sensed anything that has risen to a state level. Uh, maybe in Dearborn, things are a little more testy and we can talk about that if you want. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but Hamtramck, you know, the thing is, is Hamtramck's so small too. I mean, comparatively. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like Dearborn, which is much, much bigger and has the world headquarters for Ford in it. Uh, so it, it really, you know, it's interesting that they have a majority Muslim and Arab board and they, but you know, it's outside of the interest factor. I don't think that there's much controversy there at all. Okay. Um, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit. And, uh, you have a state Senator. I've never heard of her before state Senator Sylvia Santana. Um, and this is a season where a lot of legislators are in Illinois and in Michigan and, uh, states around the country, they're being uh, hosted by pro-Israel PACs and lobbyists on trips that are funded by these groups uh, to send them to Israel because the Arab-Israeli conflict is such a political issue, bringing people there and giving them a perspective, you know, obviously would impact the area. Um, and I guess if you're a Jewish uh uh, legislator in a Jewish district, that's great. But if you're a uh, African-American legislator in an area that has a lot of Arabs and Muslims, it might not be so great. What happened to State Senator uh, Silvana, Sylvia Santana when she returned from her trip? But she got a lot of pushback, didn't she? Yeah, she did, because um, uh, uh, Sama Sibilani from the uh, Arab-American News uh, was able to find out that she had gone on this uh, trip to Israel that's sponsored by the Jewish Federation and of, uh, of, of, of Southeast Michigan. And this is a trip that's been available to legislators for many, many years. Uh, legislators have to pay their own airfare to Israel. Uh, but once they get there, the Federation takes care of uh, the, um, the lodging and meals. And for the next seven days, what these legislators do, and it's usually about, you know, 10 to 15, somewhere in that area, um, they'll learn about uh, some of the culture and, and 
kind of what the political environment is. Right. We'll also talk about the economic connections between Israel and Michigan and uh, some of the, the joint ventures, some of the companies that are in both Michigan and Israel. And uh, the geopolitical climate is big. And uh, so they'll spend, they'll spend seven days there. Now, this is not, uh, this is not a widely publicized thing. Right. Um, you know, you only find out about it second and third hand. Right. Uh, the, the Jewish Federation doesn't like to advertise it. The legislators don't like to advertise it, especially these days when um, there's just a, a distaste among voters about legislators taking what they view as junkets. Right. They don't see these kind of things as educational or beneficial really in any way. The voters, by and large, they just think this is a perk that legislators are getting a free trip and they go to these these places and just get wined and dined and schmoozed um, to really no benefit of them. So, uh, so people keep these things super secret. But somehow, uh, Sablani found out about Santana going on the trip. And she not only went this year, she went last year apparently right. as well. And right. his issue that he brought up that apparently is very prominent in uh, Sylvia's district, which is about... Um, you know, about, I, I would say probably about 40% uh, Arab was that she didn't let people know that she was going to be taking this trip and at least talk to them before she went to see um, what she should keep in mind when she's there and what questions she should ask and what could be learned by going over there uh, if she was intent on going in the first place. Uh, that community in Dearborn uh, is very heavy Lebanese, right? And they they are have some really strong feelings about Israel and their settling of the northern part of Israel and kicking out people who were Lebanese from Golan Heights and areas north, and uh, and so they they're they're um, you know first second third generation. People over there are pretty bent about Israel and how they handled settlement and what they did with the people there, uh, destroying their property, uh, well, moving I, them out. Yeah, and, and I mean, so I, they're I think, ticked about it. Yeah, I think some people could argue that uh, the Jewish Federation wouldn't be sending them to Israel if there wasn't this big conflict that was going on. There's a there is a political war at a national level between pro Arab and pro Israel groups. I, uh, in the earlier segment uh, on today's show, I interviewed uh, State Representative Sammy Sheets, who's Arab American from Iowa, the first Arab American elected in Iowa. And he said, you know what, I focus on local issues. I don't focus on international is issues. He thinks the Arab community and other communities should focus locally on their communities first, uh, win office there, and then later you can then uh, deal with foreign policy, which in some cases doesn't really directly impact people. So uh, Sylvia uh, Santana, I guess, issued an apology that I read on her Facebook page. So obviously it, it's brought some concern. Is it enough, do you think, that someone might be slated to run against her? Have you heard anything about that? Well, she's she's finishing her last term that she can serve in the state Senate. So she's done anyway. Is that uh, so term she, limits? Yeah. So uh -huh. she's term limited. She just got elected last year. So uh, she'll serve out her last 
you know, three and a half years, uh, unless she were to run for something else. But um, I don't know what that would be. Uh, you know, if a county commission seat opened up, I guess, or, right. you know, Detroit City Council or, or something like that, I guess, if she wanted to. Um, but uh, she's she's very active in the state Senate and is um, the chair of a pretty important um, uh, committee. So I, you know, I just I, I, I think that she's going to, you know, keep serving, you know, the, the so I, as far as like her future future political aspirations, I don't know what they would be anyway. Got it. Um, but if she were to run again, you know, I, I think that people would remember this. It, it's just um, I think the surprise here is that she she didn't know how agitated people would be about her going to Israel without first kind of checking in. And I, I know that her camp believes that there's a lot of politics at play here. You know, there was an election we just talked about yesterday. And one of the people who made this a big issue, Mo Beydoun, was uh, running for uh, an election. And there was right. a there was some commentary that maybe he brought this up to kind of stir the pot to make him look like a champion in right. that community. Because, uh, you know, Sylvia was supposed to have a have an ice cream social at his establishment, uh, something called the, the custard shop or the custard company there in in. Um, Dearborn Heights, and uh, and he disinvited her at the last minute. Said, right. you know, I, you're not welcome here anymore, and uh, let that be known. And so the, I think there was a sentiment among Sylvia Santana supporters that you know he was kind of doing this as, as a bit of a show. And I and I talked to him about that on Monday, and he insisted he insisted no, it has absolutely nothing to do with it at all. Right. That um, um you know, that, that this was, this is about the community and something much bigger than his political aspirations, which he said, he's just there to serve the public. Yeah. He doesn't really care. It, he doesn't it, have any big aspirations here. It, it probably is a big issue. I mean, because, uh, you know, I mean, these, uh, trips have to be disclosed by these legislators, but the system isn't very, uh, transparent. It, it's no. very difficult to identify these trips. Um, they make it very easy to kind of blend in uh, on the disclosure form so you don't have to say exactly what it was. But as you point out, it is an issue. Our guest is uh, the editor of Mirrors, the Michigan News and Information Service, Kyle Meelan. Um, and the website is mirs.news. Kyle, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Najee Aboud at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Najee Aboud now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design, new location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. 
Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Najee Aboud, 734-744-9796. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania Radio Show brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News. Season 3, Episode 15, August 9th, 2023. You can listen to this radio show and all of our past radio shows on podcast by visiting Arab News Newspaper, the voice of a changing region at ArabNews.com. There are so many great podcasts there that you should check out, including The Maimon Show with host Hussein El Maimon and Frankly Speaking with host Katie Jensen. You should check them all out. They're very interesting. And you can get more information on Arab American journalism by visiting naja-us.com, N-A-A-J-A-U-S.com, and on myself, Ray Hanania, by visiting my personal website hub at hanania.com. You can read my columns also in Arab News at arabnews.com. I look forward to joining you next week when we have more interviews and great guests here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show on the U.S. Arab Radio Network at arabradio.us and sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region at arabnews.com. Have a great week, everybody.